Luke chapter number 6, verse 37. Luke 6, 37, we'll read down through verse 40 before we pray. Keep in mind as we read these first few verses, this uh, read it in the light of is how you treat and your relationship and how you treat other people. Judge not and you will, be, and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Just simply that basically the way you treat people is pretty much the way you're going to be treated. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today seeking you as our teacher. I recognize this morning, God, that I am just a man, flesh and blood. And I pray, God, that I will not only be able to, to preach this well, but, God, that I will be able to live this well. God, that we will take our responsibilities to our fellow man serious. That we recognize, God, that each day we are an extension of your hand. We're an extension of your voice. And I just pray again that this message would hit its mark. God, that we would receive it. God, as you said, that your word would never return void. Let it be life-changing for us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody give me a big shout of amen this morning. Amen. amen. You can be seated. Last week I preached, uh, my, the title of my message last week was in the form of a prayer. If you'll remember, the title was, Lord, please save me from me. And talked about the fact that we are our own worst enemy. Amen. That we are kind of the architect of our own demise. And when left to ourselves, we will surely uh, do ourselves in. Um, not only are we... Uh, a great degree of harm and threat to ourselves, but we do a great degree of harm and love to those that we love. And so last week, this is kind of a part two, uh, I guess you might say. Last week was, Lord, please save me from me. And this morning, I want to preach, Lord, please save people from me. Uh, now, we have a tendency to pray that backwards, right? Lord, please save me from other people. Please save people, me from people's uh, hurtful words or their just stupidity or their, you know, all this. But... Today I want us to recognize that God sometimes has to protect other people from us. In order for God to preserve the greater good of man, He has to do something in me first. Amen? I know that this may be a little bit of a shock, but not always is your problem other people. Amen? Sometimes you are other people's problem. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through this today. Jesus saying here, ultimately, like I said, if you don't want to be judged by people, then don't judge people. If you, want, if, you need peop- if you want people to give to you in your hour of need, then you need to be willing to give to people. If you want people to forgive you, then you need to forgive other people. With whatever measure you measure, it will be measured back to you. How you treat people ultimately will be um, how you are treated. Uh, so when God saves us from us, He also saves other people from us, right? God can take the same person that has caused pain and heartache, and he can change that person and to the degree that they can bring those same people joy and encouragement. Amen? That's what God does. He changes people. Um, 
Bart Miller, the, the lead singer for the gospel group Mercy Me, uh, has written a book and they made a movie of it, and a lot of you have probably seen it. I can only imagine. And he tells, he gives a testimony of his life and his father, who he describes as a monster. When, when Bart was younger, his dad, he said his dad was a monster. He was very mean and nasty towards him, towards his mom. He was physically abusive. He was verbally abusive. And uh, to the degree that his mom left, and eventually Bart grew up, and he basically abandoned his father. But in the course of events, he ends up going back to his father for reasons he really didn't know why, only to find that Christ had made a change in his dad. And in the last, his dad become, uh, got cancer and became terminally, terminally ill. And in the last days of his dad's life, Bart and his dad actually formed a relationship that was a tremendous blessing to Bart. God took the same man who was a curse to him and turned him into a blessing. Amen? And they had a great relationship and they became great friends in the last days. Even to the degree that Bart's dad had taken, he'd left all of his money to Bart and he had set it up in a trust. This is really kind of cool how God worked this out. He set it up in a trust so that Bart got so much money a week so that he could go out and pursue uh, his dream of being a, a gospel singer. And that money sustained him and the week that it ran out was the week that I can only imagine, or just within a couple weeks' time, that I can only imagine went big and the group really you know, got onto the scene. So that's what God does. He saves us from us, but He also saves other people from us through His abundant grace. Amen? Hallelujah. How we, rela- how we handle our relationship with God will ultimately set the tone for how we handle our relationship with other people. Right? If our relationship with God is good... Our relationship, for the most part, with other people will be good, and vice versa, right? We're either going to be a blessing to people, or we're going to be a curse to them. We're either going to heal, or we're going to hurt. We're either going to help people, or we're going to help ourselves. We're we're either going to hold out our hand to give, or we're going to hold out our hand to get, right? We're either going to build people up, or we're going to tear people down. We're either going to influence people for the better or we're going to influence them for the worse. But I guarantee you, one way or the other, you will influence. We're either going to lead people on the path of righteousness or we're going to lead them into the ditch. That's what Jesus said. If the blind people lead the blind, then everybody, all of them, are going to fall into the ditch. We have to recognize how important we are to the people around us. Amen? Very, very important. The words we speak, the attitudes that we carry, the decisions that we make. People, let's be honest. People are either going to be glad to know you or they're going to wish they'd never met you. Which do you ultimately want? I mean, don't, it's, not, it's not that we're out to win a popularity contest, make everybody like us, but ultimately don't you want to contribute in a positive way to people's lives around you? We should, right? Um, you know, and you might say, well, fine, if they don't, want, they don't wish they'd never moan me, then who needs them? Who needs everybody? Well, the qu- answer to that question is simple. You do, right? You need people, and people need you. God literally built us with the need for human relationships. Not just a desire or kind of, I'll take it or leave it. We, we desperately need human relationships. God built us that way. Whether or not, whether or not other people are meeting your needs ultimately depends on whether you are meeting other people's needs. If we're living a selfish life, always wanting everybody to meet my needs and take care of me, we're never going to be fulfilled because we're not doing the same for others. Jesus said, with what measure you use, that's going to be measured back to you. 
However much you're willing to give to people, that's all you're going to get back. Are you meeting the needs of other people? If you're not, then other people are not going to be meeting your needs. That's just kind of the way that it works. Amen? Um, Every marriage struggles when one or both spouse complains that the other one isn't meeting their needs. Let me say it again. If one or both spouse is constantly complaining, well, the other one's not meeting my needs, that marriage will always struggle. But no marriage struggles when both people, both spouses, are focused primarily on meeting the need of their spouse with no selfish motive. Let me say that again. No marriage struggles. I mean, every marriage has its bumps. I'm not saying that you have... But, but I'm talking about the, the, uh, the solid foundation of that marriage. It's never going to struggle if both people are focused, number one, on meeting the need of their spouse without a selfish motive. It's not about, I'm going to do this for you so that I get something in return. No. How much do you love the person? Are, are you devoted? Do you recognize that the whole purpose that you are married is to meet the need of another person? And when you do that, they're going to meet your needs. That's the way God designed it. And that is true of every human relationship. Friendships, uh, co-workers, when we're focused on meeting the needs of other people, other people will meet our needs. God built it that way. We need it desperately. Um, people will be a blessing to me when I'm a blessing to people. I want you to say that with me. Ready? I want, but I want you to yell out the word when. People will be a blessing to me when I'm a blessing to people. Don't try to circumvent that. Don't try to turn that around. Don't say, this is our human nature says, well, if you'll take care of me, you scratch my back, then I'll scratch yours. That's not the way it works. We'll go around with itchy backs, always wishing somebody would scratch it and it ain't going to happen. You scratch somebody else's back and then they're going to scratch yours. Amen? Amen. No, one, no one human being is an island. We're, we're connected to people whether, whether we like it or not. Amen? Whether we want to be or not. And how we choose to live our life is always going to affect other people's lives. Always. The, the ripple effect is activated with every single decision we make. You know what the ripple effect is, right? You take a rock, you throw it into a pond. It hits one place, but then it affects this part of the water, then it affects this part of the water, and it continues to reach out, out here. So every single decision I make, every decision you make, causes a ripple effect. It's going to affect the people around me close, and it's going to affect the people around them. It's going to affect the people around for either either for good or for bad. Every decision is point is important. Do you realize that Jesus said it like this: that we shall give an account for every idle word that we speak on the day of judgment? If ever, we think our oh, words don't matter, we can say it. No, Jesus said everything that comes. You know, how many of you got to conceal and carry? Uh, again, some someone's like, well, I, I do, but I really don't want everybody to know that, you know. So, but what one thing they'll tell you is this: the second the bullet leaves your gun, you're responsible for it, right? You pull the trigger and the bullet leaves the gun. It's not like, okay, what's well, out of my gun? It's not, it's not my problem anymore. Until the bullet lands, it's your baby. You're responsible for it. So if it goes in the wrong direction, you're responsible for it. Every single idle word that we speak to people and we think, oh, it's no big deal. Jesus said, you are responsible for that word and I will hold you accountable for that word on the day of judgment. Yikes. So every decision is, is just simply that important, that whole ripple effect. Now, Achan was a man we read about in Joshua chapter 7, if you want to flip back there real quick. Achan 
Achan was a man that affected his entire family and his entire nation with one act of greed. One act of selfishness infected and affected his entire nation and his entire family. Now, I'm going to read all this, but just to give you a little bit of a background, we find where, you may remember the whole story of, uh, of Jericho, right? They're, God sends uh, Israel, they're marching around the walls of Jericho, and on the seventh time around, the walls fall down, and the nation of Israel, the armies of Israel, go into uh, Jericho and defeat them all, because God had told them, I'm going to give you this city, but God had given them a very important command. If you'll remember, when they went into the city of Jericho to fight, God said, you're going to see, there's going to be all kinds of riches there. There's going to be money, expensive clothing. You're going to see all stuff. And, but he said, I don't want you to take any of that. That's not yours. All of that is to go into the treasury of the Lord. So, so don't take, he called it the accursed thing. Don't put your hand on the accursed thing. Go in there, do your job, and it'll all be good. And so they go in, they fight the battle. But there was one man, Achan, who was a little more concerned about his own welfare than he was about his nation's. A man who really didn't take God seriously, which by the way, you, wanna, you, you know that every sin pretty much comes from a heart of unbelief. I can preach a whole message on that. But ultimately, Achan thought to himself, I don't really believe that God's going to do what he said he would do. Right? God said not to do, but he did it anyway. And then the very next battle they went to, which was against a nation called Ai. And this was a very small nation. Remember, they had just defeated Jericho. And now they're going against this little nation of Ai. And so the armies, the leaders came to Moses and said, look, we don't even need to send all of our army. Send two or 3,000 people up there. We can take this place because it's just so small and weak. And so they take 3,000 soldiers up there and they get their tails whipped. 36 men are killed in this battle. And, 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 they, and they turn their tail and they run. And, and Joshua goes to God and he's like, God, what, what's up? What's the deal? I mean, how, how can this enemy defeat us? And God shows uh, Joshua, he said, there's, there's sin in the camp. Somebody disobeyed my command and it's affecting the entirety of the nation. And so, long story short, they go from, from tribe to tribe, to family to family, to house to house, man to man, and they finally come up and they realize that there was this man named Achan. Now, if you go into, if you're in Joshua there, chapter 7, let's look at verse 24. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and, everybody say and, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep, and his tent and all that he had. They brought them up to the valley of Acre. Joshua said to Achan, why did you trouble us? I mean, Achan have said, well, I, how did, I mean, I took a little bit of gold that I wasn't supposed to take. How does that affect everybody else? It's just, it's my sin. It's my problem. Joshua said, you have troubled us. 30, first of all, 36 men are dead. Their families are never going to see him again because one decision you made. Number two, we find when we're going through there, um, all of Israel took him, all of his family and all of that, and stoned him with stones, burned them with fire, and, sto and stoned them with stones, and raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day, right? His entire family was killed. He, he, he affected because I mean, and, and well, here's the thing: he brings this gold, this stuff that, that he wasn't supposed to have, this abomination to God. You might say he brings it into his house, and he gets his whole family involved in it. Because when we sin, folks, ultimately that influences our family and those that we have leadership over. Everybody was affected by this one man's decision. Joshua said, "Why did you bring trouble on us 
the Lord brings trouble on you today. With what measure you use towards other people, how you treat other people, and your view of your uh, responsibility to other people will determine how it returns to you. Achan thought of himself and not everybody else, and that came back to bite him. His, his, himself, his family, the entire nation. Folks, the nation of Israel was very blessed. Okay? They, were the, they, they held the blessing of God. He had given it to them above every other nation. And this entire nation went from blessed to cursed in one minute because of one man's decision. Think about how important our responsibility to one another is. You can see why we should pray, Oh Lord, please save people from me. Because let me tell you something. You might say, oh, I'd have never taken that. I'd have have done exactly what God told me to do when we went into Jericho. Maybe you would have. Maybe you wouldn't. I mean, have you in your life done everything God wants you to do? Have you ever just flat out disobeyed God? I have. And, you know what I found out? Each and every one of those decisions to do that brought great consequences. It didn't just hurt me. It hurt other people around me. We can either be God's gift to someone or we can be Satan's tool to hurt them. Amen? You know, we just, you always hear, uh, you hear the comment, you hear people talk about, well, that guy thinks he's God's gift to women. You know I mean? He thinks he's so great at whatever. And, and the thing about it is, guys, we're not God's gift to women, but we are God's gift to our woman. Amen? Amen. Ultimately, that's the way God designed it, that we would be a gift uh, to our wife. And before you start elbowing your wife and telling her, I told you so, Understand this, that you should want to be a useful gift that she appreciates, not a defective one that she wishes she had a receipt for. Amen? <laughs> Think about that. Let that sink in just a little bit. Don't you want her to be glad she married you? Are you willing to be a gift to somebody else? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Amen? As Christians... We should always be less concerned with how people treat us and more concerned with how we treat people. That's the nature of, of being a Christian, to be more concerned about how I treat other people than how they treat me. I mean, Jesus said, if someone punches you in the face, if they smite you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek. I get it. That ain't easy. I'm, I'm with you. Like it or lump it, our Savior taught us that way. Amen? What did he say in the 40th verse of Luke that we read at the beginning? Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Who is our teacher? Christ, who was the perfect example of what it was to be more focused about how I treat other people than I am how people treat me because they didn't treat him very nice, yet he still died for them. People don't have to treat us good in order for us to treat people good. It goes against the grain, but it's something that the Spirit of God, we need to allow, yield to the Spirit of God and allow Him to teach us how to get this thing right. Amen? And it can start with just simply praying, Lord, help me. Help others. Help me, God, not to destroy people, save people from me. Jesus didn't die for Himself, right? He died for our sins, not His own. He He died to save us, not Himself. And not only did He, not only did He save us, as a blessing to us. How many of you are blessed to be saved? I mean, let's, that's a dumb question, right? I mean, we're, we're blessed to be saved, to know 
that our sins God will no longer hold against us and that when this life is over, we will spend eternity with God and we've escaped hell. Yeah, being saved is a blessing. And so he saved us as a blessing to us, but he also saved us as a blessing to other people. To be that extension of his hand to carry a gospel of love to those that are around us every day. Amen? Now, forgive me for this little uh, silly illustration, but now when I was a kid, I used to love to watch Incredible Hulk, right? And Dr. David Banner was a nice person. He was a doctor, and he always wanted to help people, right? But he had to control his temper so that he wouldn't turn into the Hulk and hurt people. He always had this awareness about him, right? That if I, if I go too far, I've got to keep that in check. He always had this awareness that if, if I allow myself, then this monster will come out and hurt people, and I don't want to do that. He recognized his responsibility uh, to his fellow man, right? The truth is there's an unruly hulk inside of every one of us that has got to be tamed in order to keep from hurting our fellow man. I mean, when the hulk turned into the hulk, it didn't hurt him. He was indestructible, but it always hurt other people. When we allow our, our temper or our opinions or thoughts to just kind of run amok, we don't keep them under some sort of control, it turns into a hulk. It may, you may, it may not hurt you, it will, but you may think it won't hurt me, but it will hurt people that you love, right? And create a, a wake of destruction in your path. Um, wouldn't it be better to, to make it to heaven and turn around and look and see that, there, that there, you've brought healing everywhere you went? as opposed to destruction everywhere you went. It'll be one or the other, right? I mean, our pride, every one of us as human beings have got to deal with pride. It's, 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 it's the greatest, probably the greatest sin. Every, every sin there is kind of stems from our pride. Our pride is a beast that will destroy us and destroy everyone in its path. Proverbs 16 and 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. My pride will destroy myself. Not only myself, it's not only my destruction and my fall, but it's the destruction and the falls of those who my life touches. If I was to take a handful of you guys up there, Matt up on top of the roof, Matt, Jeff, Gene, Brody, Dad, let's say we just take a whole bunch of guys up on the roof and we chain ourselves together. If I fall off the roof, guess what's going to happen to the rest of y'all? You're going to fall off too because we're attached. We're chained together. If I fall off, they're going to fall off too. No, no man is an island. No man, is, no man stands individually. If I fall, if you fall as an individual, as a husband, as a mom, as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a, as a worker, an employee, I mean, if we fall in our character and we allow our pride to destroy us, somebody else is going to fall with us because we are attached to people. We just have to think outside of ourselves. Think about it like this. When you look, you read in the book of Exodus and the destruction that the, nation of, that, the, that the nation of Egypt faced in those days with all of the plagues, the flies, the locusts, you know, and literally the, the, by the time the nation of Israel left Egypt and started out on their, uh, uh, land of the pro, their trip to the promised land, the, the nation of Egypt was absolutely devastated. There was nothing left. It had just been destroyed. But God did not destroy Egypt. Pharaoh's pride destroyed Egypt. Who, who is the God that shall override me, right? I'm not going to let your people go because I'm God. It was his pride that destroyed an entire nation. Wow. God don't like to destroy. God didn't get any great pleasure out of doing all of that. 
But God gives us a choice. Hey, you can stick to your stubborn old pride if you want to, but it's going to cost you. And it'll ultimately cost people that you love. Amen? Pride, our pride destroys marriages. It destroys finances, churches, friendships, and everything that's meaningful to us, it will destroy. If you don't pray anything else, pray this. God, I beg you, keep me humble, please. Please, God, don't allow pride to come in and, and cloud me, and you know, cloud my vision. Pride blinds us. We can't see clearly. You can see the sin of other people, but it's hard to see your own pride. We need God to expose that for us. And I know that being humbled uh, by God sometimes can be a very humbling experience. And I know that it's not. But we desperately need humility because if pride blinds us, we cause a lot of damage. Amen? We got to, in order to be a blessing to people, not a curse, we've got to be able to see life clearly and not be blinded by our, our, our own pride. I mean, we've got to have enough spiritual insight and discernment uh, to know, number one, who God is, to know who we are in relation to who God is, and how much people really, people really need us not to fall in the ditch. Amen? Look behind you. Watch your little kids. Watch your grandkids, your kids. Watch how, how they act like you. I know that may that'd be kind of scary. Some ways that's good, in some ways it's not. People desperately need you not to fall in the ditch. To stay on the road, stay on the path that is straight, that is narrow, that leads to God. If you stay on that path, the people you love will stay on that path also. Man, no blind person would ever apply for a job to be a school bus driver, right? They wouldn't do that. Why? Because other people's lives are at stake. If you're going to be a school bus driver, if you're going to haul other people that are precious and mean something and have value, you've got to be able to see clearly. In order for us to see spiritually, we have to allow not our pride to, to, uh, to blind us. What about our tongue? Let's talk about that for a little bit. You want to? Most of you say, like, I'd, rather, I'd rather we didn't. Let's dismiss. I, I move that we dismiss. Let's talk about our tongue just a little bit. Our tongue murders. Our tongue is literally a loaded weapon that is cocked with the safety off. That's how dangerous it is. If you had a gun, those of you who don't want to admit you have a CCW, you have a loaded gun, it's got one in the chamber, the hammer's back, and there's no safety. How are you going to handle this gun? How are you going to treat it? Are you going to just throw it around willy-nilly and just, uh, you're going to let your little kid play with it or throw it over on the table? You're You're going to handle it very, very carefully because you recognize it doesn't really take much for it to go off, and once it goes off, it could really hurt someone. That's our tongue. That's our, I could have very easily titled this message, Lord, please save people from my mouth, right? It's cocked, it's loaded all of the time. We have to say, no, Lord, please, God, keep this thing in your holster, right? Keep a safety on it. Take the bullets out of it, God, because we realize that we go around all the time cocked and loaded and we spout a word and we smart off, we don't think it's no big deal. It hurts, it kills people. Let's read in James chapter number 3 real quick. Let's prove it to you so you don't think this is my opinion, right? James chapter 3, verse 3. It says, if, if we put bits into the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. How big is a bit compared to the horse's body? Very small. The bit is real small compared to the horse. But that little bit uh, can drive the course in the direction of the entire horse. Um, 
we guide the blah, blah, blah. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It's one of the smallest parts of your body, but it can cause an awful lot of damage. Literally, our tongue guides, can guide the direction that we go if it's not held under control. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Think about that. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless, King James says, unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God, our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be, ought not to be so. With the same tongue, that tongue that is so small that we think nothing about, that we just, he says, it can cause so much, it's, it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Our tongue, our words can murder. Whoever it was that come up with the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was probably drunk, right? Because words do hurt. Words do murder. They murder character. They murder people's character. They murder their self-worth, their self-esteem. It murders their reputation. It can murder their confidence, their courage, their peace of mind. Our words can murder people's faith in God. I've heard words come out of Christian people's mouth that just made my faith, my faith meter fall three steps, right? Our words can murder and can destroy because it's full of deadly poison, he says. Our words can either be the wind... In some, under somebody's wings and give them rise to fly, or our words can be heavy weights that, that hold people down. You can't tame it. I know, you, some of you are sitting there thinking, I know me, man, I've tried, I tried to quit this and quit that. You have to put your tongue in God's holster. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a human being too, and I've got to deal with this little unruly evil myself. And there's times that I want to reach over and take it back out of God's holster and use it for my own good, right? But when I recognize that, you know, here's the thing. When we say something that we know is hurtful to someone else, it feels good for about that many seconds, right? It really don't feel bad. We think, oh, it feels bad. I got that off my chest. You feel horrible. You hurt somebody's feelings. You think, oh, I'm going to feel better if I just say that. You won't. You, you'll feel, they'll be miserable and so will you. Amen? We, we just have to learn to let God bridle the tongue because that's what guides us. God, please save people from my mouth. Please save, save people from my words. Let my words be an encouragement, a good thing. Let my words be a blessing to people and not a curse. There's uh, sins of... I'm moving off the mouth now so everybody can take a deep breath, right? It's something we all deal with. Is that true? Amen. Something we all deal with. Um, there are sins of commission and there are sins of omission. Okay? Sins of commission is, is a sin that you commit, something that you do that is wrong. Sins of omission are sins that you omit, meaning it's something that you should do, but you don't. Okay? 
So our sins of commission when we commit sins, as we've discussed today, obviously affect other people. But our sins of omission when we just simply don't do what we're supposed to do, that also affects people in a very negative way. In fact, the Bible goes on to say something like this, He that knows to do good and does it not, he that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him, guess what? It is sin. Right? So those sins of omission, we, we have to realize that at times we have to put ourselves out there just a little bit for the benefit of somebody else. It's true. Um, for example, having the cure for cancer and not sharing it with those who have cancer would ultimately be contributing to their death, right? If, if I have a light and I don't share it with people who are in darkness and they get hurt in that darkness, then that's irresponsible on my part. No, I didn't put them in the darkness. I didn't do anything. I didn't commit anything. But by me omitting or failing to do what I should do and sharing the light, I've just been irresponsible. Having Jesus as my Savior and not sharing it with those who are lost is heartless. I mean, it really is. And I get it. We face insecurities and things of that nature. But I think it's important for us to realize as Christians how much of a responsibility we have to the lost world around us. We're not an island. This church is not standing alone. We're not the only ones going to stand before God. We have a responsibility to those who are lost and undone. No matter what they might have done to you ultimately uh, in the, in, within the course of your life. You don't have to turn. I'm going to read this real quick. But in Jude, Jude uh, verse 23, it says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even when the garment stained by flesh. Snatching them from the fire. When we recognize that those who are without Christ, those that don't know Jesus as their Savior, are on a fast-paced train to hell. And the Word says that we, as, as God's people, as the voice, we're the voice of the gospel in this life, right? We are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but now He said, you're the light of the world. And so we have a responsibility to snatch off that train those who are heading towards the fire. It is our responsibility as a, as a Christian, not just as a preacher, but as a child of God, there should be something within us that says, I really want to help somebody uh, escape destruction in the end of their life. And when we don't do it, we contribute ultimately to their lostness. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. And I know that we're insecure at times about sharing our faith. But we can't let our insecurity rob people of their eternal security. Amen? I'm not talking about one saved, always save eternal security, but you know what I'm saying. Eternal security, when we get to eternity, folks, we are secure forever in the arms of Jesus. We can't rob people of the eternal security just because we're a little insecure. God, please save people from me, right? Please help me to overcome whatever stupid, petty little problems and, and hang-ups that I've got. Help me to not allow those to come in and hurt people directly but help me, Lord, that they don't hurt people indirectly by my failure to act when I need to. What if every husband and father was to pray that prayer every, earnestly, sincerely, as, as clay in the potter's hands, right? Because as clay, and you give yourself as a clay, you give yourself to the potter. It means you're you're uh, allowing him, you're asking him to change your form, to change your shape, and make you into something that's useful, right? So if every if every husband, every father was to pray this prayer, God, please save people from me. I, I yield myself to you. Uh, change me. Can you imagine what would take place within a home? 
What if every wife, every mother was to pray that same prayer? What if every church member was to pray that prayer? Lord, please save my church from me, right? Help me, God, not to contribute to, to criticism and, and, you know, disunity and all that. So, Lord, help me be a part of the solution. Lord, help me to contribute unity to my church. What if every church member was to, with all their heart, pray that prayer? What if every, what if every politician was to pray that prayer? Lord, please save people from me. Change the course of our entire country, right? If every person was to pray that. It's that important. It's why it's, why it's the second greatest commandment, according to Jesus. Greatest commandment, he said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and your strength. Your life, number one, is dedicated to God. The second commandment, the second greatest commandment, he said, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's that important. It's that important. He's got to do something in us, though, before he can use us to do something in somebody else. We have to kind of bring our own hang-ups and our failures and I tell you what would be good for us as Christians is just a good old repent fest. Amen? Just a good old get down and get serious and just repent. God, I've, not, I've just not been where you want me to be. I've not been doing what you want me to be doing. Um, let's, let's remedy that. Amen? Don't pray that God take you away from people in order to keep from hurting them. Pray that God will change you, he'll purge you and cleanse you uh, and use you to bless the world around you. Right? Jesus prayed this to the Father in the 17th chapter uh, of John. He said, Lord, I, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus' prayer was not that he somehow just take these mean and nasty people and isolate them, keep them away from everybody. Lord, let's just change them. Let's just keep them from sin. Let's keep them from Satan's influence. Change them and make them a light that will affect the dark world around them. That's ultimately the perfect scenario. And you know what? Jesus has done that for 2,000 years and he's still doing that. Still changing lives and using plain old weak and flawed people to bring a tremendous blessing of the gospel to those who are around us every day. There's opportunities when we seek for them. But again, we can't go out with the intention of saving the world and helping the world around us until we're, not, until we're first willing to let God come on in and do a little something in us. Amen. Do a little house cleaning. I just, need some, I just need some good old house cleaning every once in a while. The Lord just got to come in and just kind of move some stuff out. You know, and I'm not, not, I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody. That's just, that's just the way life is, right? He's just, sometimes he's got to come in and, you know, trim off the fat just a little bit. Get the stuff out of our life that we've allowed to creep in that really don't need to be there. And when he does that, it can be painful at times. Uh, but when he comes in and starts cleaning house and getting rid of things that we don't really need, we begin to find that our peace of mind begins to increase. We begin to find that life for us begins to hold just a little bit more meaning because God's taken some things away. And then what else we find is that we begin to bless people a little bit more around us, a little bit more kind towards people, a little bit more understanding and patient with people. And we desperately need that. We need to be patient with one another. I want you to be patient with me because I'm not perfect. You're going to watch, if you watch me close enough, you'll find some faults. And I need you to be patient with me and I need to be patient with you. That's the way God designed it because God is patient with us, all of us, amen? And if you're glad for that, say amen. 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 We need kind of more of a, we need more of a, uh, you're more important to me than me attitude. Amen. Love one another as you love yourself. Hey, I really like myself, right? I'll do everything in the world for myself to make sure that myself has what it wants and needs and desires. That's all right. That's good. But I need to take that same passion and love for self 
and apply it to those that God has placed in my path. Amen? Hallelujah. Pray with me. Father, we love you today. Again, Lord...